for listening to the podcast today. I hope that this message encourages you. I hope that it inspires you. And I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into God's word. I also hope that you have some community around you that you can talk through some of these things with. Now, I want to remind you that we are in the middle of our year in the story, which is really this deep dive into God's great story and our place in it. If you'd like more information about that or more information about our community here at Restore, you can get that on our website at restoreaustin.org. We'd really love to see you soon. Thanks for listening. In the summer of 1989, in the Calvary Reformed Church of Holland, Michigan, a youth pastor named Janie Tinklenberg printed 300 bracelets with a four-letter abbreviation on them. These bracelets and the four-letter abbreviation on them were supposed to help the students in her youth group better live life as Christians. They were a huge hit in her youth group and eventually caught on at other churches all around Holland, all over the state of Michigan. Soon they became popular all over the country and eventually all over the world. Today, about 30 years later, it's estimated that these 300 bracelets have now turned into tens of millions that have been sold worldwide. Does anyone know what the four-letter abbreviation is? WWJD. If you've forgotten what they look like, I brought a picture. (laughs) That is them. WWJD. Does anybody remember what WWJD stands for? What would Jesus do? I got my first one at a vacation Bible school, which is kind of a summer thing for kids at churches and I was a kid at a church just up the road here in Austin. And our Bible study leader handed them out to us, and and she told us that any time we were going to face a situation where we didn't know what to do, we should just look down at the bracelet and ask, well, what would Jesus do? Right? Seemed foolproof. But it never worked for me. Like never, not like one time. It never worked for me because one of two things always happened. Either I didn't know what Jesus would do, so I'd asked a question, I didn't know the answer, so I just did what I wanted. That was kind of option one. The second option was I knew what Jesus would do, but I did not want to do what Jesus would do, so I did what I wanted to do. Same result, kind of as option one. I remember always thinking, if I just had Jesus here with me, Right? Instead of this dumb bracelet, I, I would actually start making much better decisions because if I didn't know the answer, like option one, I could just ask him, Jesus, what would you do in this situation? And if I did know, but I didn't want to do it, then he would kind of help keep me accountable. Right? It, it's hard to do bad things with Jesus hanging out next to you. Think about it. How hard would it be to hit next on your ninth consecutive Netflix show with Jesus next to you on the couch? Right? He's like, Are you, we're going to watch another one? We're going to watch another one. Would we really take that third trip back through the buffet line if Jesus was at the table with us? More pie, Zach? Really? I bet we wouldn't gossip as much about people if Jesus were the one we were talking to. I doubt we would ever just drive by someone who was in need if Jesus was riding shotgun with us. The presence of Jesus with us would be the very best If you've been with us throughout this series, you know that we've been looking at God's presence with us throughout human history. From the very beginning, we see God continually making ways to dwell with us. 
Even when we turn our backs, even when we come up short, even when we mess up, he continues pursuing relationship with us. It began in the Garden of Eden, a beautiful temple-like place where God walked and talked with his children. And then we broke it, right? We did what humanity always does. We trusted in something other than God, and it came with these catastrophic consequences. But even as humanity breaks the perfect relationship with God in the garden, God is making new ways to dwell with them. Through the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through the tabernacle with Moses, through the covenant with King David, and then with the temple in Solomon in Jerusalem, and on and on and on, God keeps making ways to be with us, and we keep messing them up. That's the story of God with us. This pattern is repeated until humanity runs so far away from God that he knows our only hope is for him to come after us like never before. And that's exactly what he does. But this time he doesn't just send his presence. You see, he sends himself. God trades the perfection of heaven for the brokenness of earth, puts on human flesh, is born to the Virgin Mary in a little Middle Eastern town called Bethlehem. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, which means God with us. John 1.14 puts it this way. It says, the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, this must be the ultimate version of God with us, right? God, come down, put on flesh with us, Emmanuel. Well, Jesus didn't think so. Jesus didn't think so. Actually, when he was talking to his disciples about how he was going to eventually die on the cross and be resurrected in John chapter 16, he says this, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away because unless I go away, the helper, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Wow. Jesus says it is good that I go away because then the Holy Spirit will come. Having the Holy Spirit is even better than having me is what Jesus tells us. That is a huge, huge statement. This morning we conclude our presence, God with us series by looking at the Holy Spirit. This series and the others around it are happening inside of something kind of larger that we're calling a year in the story. And our goal for this year is really to wrap our minds around God's great story and our place in it. And I really think it's impossible to understand God's story and our place in it if we don't examine the thread that kind of weaves through the, the big story, the meta-narrative that goes throughout all of human history. And this thread, my friends, is God's relentless presence. God coming after us. God with us. Throughout this series, we have traced this thread of God's presence, God with us, all the way through the Bible. And the easiest way to see this thread is by following the story arc of God making temples to dwell with us. Let me explain what I mean. We've talked a lot about temples throughout this series. The Garden of Eden was this temple-like structure, right, where God built this place to dwell with humanity. Then there was the tabernacle that Moses built. It was a portable temple for God to dwell with the people of Israel. Then we see God's presence in the temple that Solomon built 
in Jerusalem. That temple was eventually destroyed when Israel was conquered by Babylon and then rebuilt when they returned from exile. So we see this series of temples throughout human history where God is creating them to dwell with us. He creates them to dwell with us and then we mess them up. This is the story. And then he makes a new one. So the temple gets destroyed after Babylon, but then 70 years go by as the people of Israel exiled in Babylon, then they return, and the temple is rebuilt. But if you were here last week, you may remember that the rebuilt temple isn't what it once was. Why? Because the presence of God is no longer there. In fact, when the people realize that the temple is just a shell of itself without the presence of God in it, they begin to weep in front of it. And I'm sure they were asking, will God ever dwell with us in a temple again? Or is he gone forever? This is a heartbreaking moment where the people of God have finally rebuilt this thing. They think that God's presence is going to come down, and it doesn't. Will, will he ever come dwell with us in a temple again? The answer was yes. But it's not in the way that they thought he would. Paul talks about this in Acts chapter 17. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives himself, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God doesn't dwell in temples made of human hands any longer. If we look back again at John 1.14, we see this vividly, right? It says the word, that is Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This phrase, made his dwelling among us, literally translates to he tabernacled with us. He tabernacled with us. You see, instead of filling a temple with his presence, God puts on flesh and he brings the temple to us. This is a truly incredible manifestation of God's presence. He doesn't fill a building. He fills humanity and he comes down. It's, it's, it's incredible. And obviously you wouldn't want to question Jesus, but I bet that some of us are thinking having the Holy Spirit really can't be better than having Jesus with us, right? And I completely understand. I, I, it's hard to imagine something better than Emmanuel, than, than God with us. Well, I think the only thing better than God with us is God in us. The only thing better than God with us is God in us. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? No more going to the temple to experience God's presence. Now we are the temple. He has filled us with his presence. God's presence dwells in us. We take it with us wherever we go. God in us is better than God with us. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, I am sure that you've heard this idea of the Holy Spirit indwelling you or living inside of you. Jesus in your heart is another way that sometimes it's talked about. This concept isn't new, but if I asked you exactly what it means, I think many of us would have a hard time like, really explaining it. 
What does it mean that the Holy Spirit lives in us? So whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or 15 minutes or you wouldn't identify as a Christian at all, I think most of us are in the same boat regarding the Holy Spirit. We aren't exactly sure what it is or what it does. We know that it's important, but we aren't exactly sure what it is or what it does. So my hope this morning is that by learning a little bit more about the Holy Spirit and what it does, we are better able to experience God's presence through the Holy Spirit in our lives every single day. Sound good? Nod your head if you're with me. Okay, let's jump in. The Holy Spirit has been around since the very beginning. It's fully God, just like the Father and Jesus are fully God. Now, we don't have a time for like a full explanation of this thing called the Trinity this morning, so I will just briefly say that Christians believe that God is the creator and sustainer of the universe, eternally existing in three equal persons, Father, Son, that's Jesus Christ, and Holy Spirit, three in one. It's a difficult concept, but that's what Christians have always believed. We see the Holy Spirit make its initial appearance on the very first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Before the creation of the universe, we find the Holy Spirit hovering over darkness and desolation, ready to bring life and light to the world. And listen to me, even though it's just the first appearance of the Holy Spirit, this is actually a beautiful picture of who he is and what he does. The Holy Spirit brings life and light where there is darkness and death. That's what he does. The Holy Spirit brings life and light where there is darkness and death. As we move forward throughout God's great story, we see the Spirit present and active in people's lives. All throughout the Old Testament, this occurs. There's this guy named Joseph, right? So earlier we talked about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're kind of the, the three patriarchs of Israel. Well, well, Jacob had 12 sons. One of them was named Joseph. And if you know the story, Joseph, his 11 brothers kind of got mad at him because he was a little pompous and he was kind of mean. And he got his favorite coat that his dad gave him. And the brothers just got kind of tired of it, right? Joseph had these dreams all the time. And his dreams said that his 11 brothers were eventually going to bow down to him. So they get really upset. They decide that they're going to sell him into slavery and fake like he died. So they rub bear's blood all over the nice coat his dad gave him. They take him back to Jacob. They take the coat back to Jacob and they say, look, your son's dead. He's gone. He was mauled by a bear. And they sell him into slavery in Egypt. Now things are not looking good for Joseph at this point. He's in this foreign country. He's a slave. He actually has a bunch of other things happen where he gets falsely accused and he's in prison. And he's like about to die. And it says that the Holy Spirit reveals dreams to him. He gives them, him not only dreams himself, but he gives them the ability to interpret Pharaoh, who's the head of Egypt's dreams. So Pharaoh starts having these dreams and he hears about this dream interpreter who's in jail, this guy named Joseph, and he calls Joseph up. And he says, I'm having these dreams. I know you're like on death row, but I'll give you one more chance. Tell me what they mean. And so Joseph says they actually mean that there's going to be seven years of plentiful harvest and then seven years of famine. So during the time of plentiful harvest, you need to put all the food away that you can so that when the seven years of famine come, we'll have plenty of food. And that comes true. 
and he's like promoted and he becomes Pharaoh's right-hand guy. But I want you to see here that the Holy Spirit enables Joseph to bring life into a situation that would have been death. Not only his personal life where he is saved from death, but the life of an entire nation who would have died. Thousands and thousands would have died without this food. The Holy Spirit brings life in this situation where there should have been death. In Exodus 31, we meet this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist empowered by the Holy Spirit to make beautiful and artistic things inside the tabernacle. That's what it says. It says he was an artist and that the Holy Spirit came upon him and that he brings light and beauty into a once dark place where the Spirit of God eventually inhabits. It's, it's a beautiful story. We see the Holy Spirit in the persons of the prophets. The Spirit reveals knowledge to them, God's knowledge, as well as God's hope for the whole world. And there are prophets throughout the Old Testament who experience this. They predict that the Spirit would eventually come to transform hearts just like it transformed life to death in the beginning, to help people love God and love others. In fact, during Israel's exile in Babylon that we talked about just a second ago, God speaks these words to his people through a prophet named Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you. I'm not sure how much you know about uh, like anatomy and physiology and stuff, but you cannot stay alive that long with a heart of stone. It does not work very well. He's saying the spirit comes, gives you a new heart, gives you life where there once was death. This message is continued all throughout the New Testament as well. We see a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit during the baptism of Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter three. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and resting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. In addition to being a picture of the Trinity that we talked about earlier, here we see the Spirit coming to rest on Jesus. We will watch throughout Jesus' life the Spirit empower him to heal the hurting, to love the forgotten, to give hope to the broken. We will see the Holy Spirit through Jesus bring life and light where there is darkness and death. This is who he is. This is what he does. This leads all the way to the most important event, in the history of the world, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Listen to how Romans 8 describes what happened. The Spirit of God, who raises Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. The Holy Spirit not only gives life to Jesus, he gives life to us. We see this promise come to fruition during something called Pentecost in Acts chapter two. I really want us to see the incredible work of the Holy Spirit here because I think that it has massive ramifications for our lives. So this is the passage we're gonna kind of camp out in for the rest of our time together. Let me set the scene for us. So Jesus rises from the dead and he appears to his disciples and it's during his last moments with them that he says these famous words in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. 
So Jesus here, these are his last words to his disciples before he ascends up into heaven. And he tells them that someday soon the Holy Spirit is going to come and the Holy Spirit is going to give them power. Now, all the disciples do, have to do, is kind of wait for the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit to come. And this is what would kind of give birth to the church. So the disciples get together with Mary and more than 100 other men and women who were followers of Christ, and they begin to pray. And then one day, as they are all gathered praying, it happens. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. God's Spirit is poured out and it starts making people new and alive, giving them new hearts just like Ezekiel predicted. Now, I want you to see something really incredible here because the language used in these verses to describe the Spirit coming down would have been so familiar to any Jewish people hearing it because it's the exact same language used to describe God coming down to dwell in the tabernacle that Moses built in the book of Exodus. And it's the exact same language used to describe God's presence coming to fill Solomon's temple after it was dedicated in the book of 1 Kings. This is what it looks like when God's spirit comes down, but instead of filling a tabernacle or a temple, now it's filling humanity. God's presence come down to dwell in us, and the church is born. Now, here's the question that we need to ask, because it's beautiful to understand kind of some of the history of the Holy Spirit and how he's really been around since the very beginning and, and what he looks like and what he does, but Here's what's really important. What did the Holy Spirit empower this first church to do? Because that has ramifications for us, right? Because if we are being led by the Holy Spirit, then we're going to be doing the same things that that first church did. So let's look. How did the Holy Spirit lead this very first church? Look at the next verse, Acts 2, verse 5. Now, There were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? The first thing the Holy Spirit empowers them to do is to share the wonders of God in the language of every person present. And it's not just a couple of languages. Listen to verse 9. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans, and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? You see, even though these people didn't speak the same language, the Holy Spirit supernaturally enables the first church to speak so that every single person there can understand. Think about it. The first thing that the Holy Spirit empowers the church to do is to declare the wonders of God to all people. It took down race as a barrier, gender as a barrier, ethnicity wasn't a barrier, education level wasn't a barrier, even language 
wasn't a barrier anymore. The Holy Spirit, the first thing he does is blow open the doors of God's kingdom, declaring that anyone and everyone is welcome to partake. And as you can imagine, everyone begins to kind of gather around this group of people that's speaking in all these kinds of languages. They want to see what's going on. And it's in this moment that one of the disciples, a guy named Peter, gets up and preaches the very first message about Jesus and his resurrection. He starts by citing a prophecy about that very day, about the day of Pentecost from the Old Testament book of Joel, verse 16. Peter says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Again, we see Peter, the very first sentence of the very first sermon is that the Holy Spirit is for everyone. That was the first thing the Holy Spirit empowered this church to do was to swing the gates open wide that anyone and everyone could be a part of this first church. The Holy Spirit brings life where there is death and light where there is darkness for anyone and everyone who will say yes. The Spirit isn't only given to certain ages or races or genders or language or lifestyle. The Holy Spirit doesn't care who you are or what you've done or where you come from. You see, the Holy Spirit cares about one qualification. Verse 21. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name. You got, you got to think about how radical this is in the first century Near East. Right? Like, first of all, this was a, a completely patriarchal society. So women had no rights whatsoever. Right? This was a society in an area that was completely dominated by Jews. Right? It was... It was the nation of Israel. They were in Jerusalem, right? And so Gentiles weren't allowed to participate in any religious activity. Gentiles being anybody that's not a Jew. They weren't allowed to participate in any religious activity. Children, young people had little to no rights. Like this was a very specific place that they lived. A very marginalizing place unless you were a Jewish male. It was a hard place to be anything but a Jewish male, and yet the very first thing that the Holy Spirit does, the very first thing the Holy Spirit does is kick open the doors and say, no, this isn't just faith for one type of person. This is faith for everyone. This is faith for everyone. Peter goes on to explain that Jesus was the savior of the world, right? That he was killed and buried and then resurrected, demonstrating his power over sin and death, and then Peter ends by inviting the crowd to place their faith in Jesus and to receive the Holy Spirit for themselves. And amazingly, the Bible says that 3,000 people do exactly that that day. 3,000 people. The Holy Spirit gives new life to thousands of people that day. And then at the end of Acts 2, it tells us that more and more people were added to that church every single day. As we move through the book of Acts and through the rest of the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit using the church to spread the life and love of Jesus, not to a certain group of people, but to everyone without qualification. 
In fact, the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, gives us yet another picture of this. The Holy Spirit and the bride of Christ, that is another name for the church, are imploring people to come and experience new life in Jesus. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. From literally the first page to the last page of God's great story, we see the Holy Spirit bringing life and light where there is darkness and death. First page to the last page and everywhere in between. This is who he is. This is what he does. So my question for us here this morning is this. Is the Spirit doing the same thing through you? Is the Spirit doing the same thing through you? Is the Spirit using you to spread the life and love of Jesus throughout the world? If the answer is no, I'm here to tell you it's not because the Holy Spirit has somehow changed between now and then. See, he remains the same from beginning of the world to the end. If the Spirit is not using us to bring life and light where there is darkness and death, it's because we are not allowing him to. If the Spirit is not using us to bring life and light where there is darkness and death, it is because we are not allowing him to. And my guess, it is that if that's true of you, it's because you really aren't inviting the Spirit into every area of your life. See, for most of us, we let the Spirit lead right now. Like Sunday mornings, we're in church, we're comfortable with this, right? We'll sing, we'll, we'll enter into the Scripture, we might even raise our hand a little bit, you know? Like, we'll, we'll let the Spirit lead some. Maybe a couple of times during the week, maybe sometimes when you're praying, like before a meal or, or you're reading some scripture or you're, you're interacting with some, some Christian friends over a spiritual topic, maybe at that point, you kind of let the Spirit lead. But the rest of your days, the rest of your hours are solely and completely led by you. You make the decisions. You execute the task. You do your best to control all the outcomes. You want to know how I know this is true about you? Because it's true about me. Because I spend far too many of my days doing the exact same thing. So many of us struggle to give up control to God's spirit. And then we wonder why our lives aren't being used by him in the same way that he's always used people. That's the answer. If we wonder why our lives aren't being used like the first church, it's because we aren't surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit like the first church. If the Holy Spirit isn't bringing life and light where there is darkness and death through us, it's because we aren't surrendering our lives to him. My friends, it's, it's that simple. It's time we start inviting the Holy Spirit to commune with us and to empower us in all of our interactions. Not just on Sundays, not just when we read scripture, but before meetings, during class, while our kids are at soccer practice. Like wherever your day takes you, invite the spirit into those times. He's already there with you. If you're a Christian and you've placed your faith in him, he indwells you, God, in you. He's there already. Invite him to lead. Surrender to his power. 
I, I've shared before that I've gotten, tried to get in the habit of praying these little prayers of availability. Now, I'm not perfect at it at all, but before I start any new task or appointment, I try to remember to pray a really simple prayer. And it just goes something like this. Holy Spirit, please lead me during this time. Help me say the words you want me to say and be the person you lead me to be. That's it. When I pull up and I've got like a lunch appointment, right when I turn the car off as I'm walking into the restaurant, I'll just say, oh, Holy Spirit, just please lead this time. Make your words my words. Lead me the way that you want me to go for meetings. When I pull up at home after a long day, when I'm about to walk in with my wife and my kids, I pray that prayer, Holy Spirit, let me leave the baggage of work and all the stuff that's on my mind behind and help me be led by you as I interact with my family, as I love my wife and serve my kids. It's simpler than we make it out to be a lot of times. It really is. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's, it's simple. Because with Jesus' spirit in us, hear me, we don't have to ask, what would Jesus do any longer. We get to ask, what will Jesus do in and through me? We don't have to look at bracelets and wonder. We have the power of Jesus, his spirit within us. It's not what would Jesus do, it's what will Jesus do if I just surrender to him. We have access to this power of life and light 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now I know many of you are thinking right now, Zach, you're saying, that I'm supposed to do this, but how do I know? How do I know if I'm relying on the Spirit in every part of my life? And I know it might be hard to evaluate, right? Like if the Holy Spirit is using us to bring life and light into death and darkness. That's, those are like, that's a hard category for us, right? It's kind of a, like a metaphysical category almost. So I wanna make it really, really simple for us. In his letter to the Galatian church, Paul identifies nine characteristics of a life led by the Holy Spirit. He calls them the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If your interactions with people are defined by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, then you are being led by the Holy Spirit. Simple. We've spent the last four weeks talking about God's presence in our world, about this thread that weaves throughout all of human history. And today we end with the story of God's presence in us, the ultimate expression of of God's presence. In the entire history of the world, no one has had more access to God's presence than we do. No, like wrap your mind around that for a second. No one, not even the disciples before Acts 2, when they had Jesus right next to them, no one has had more access to God's presence than we do today. Are you living like that though? My challenge to us as we finish this series and we finish this morning is to take advantage of God's presence in you. Two simple ways to do that. I already said them, but I want to put them on the screen so that you can take these away with you. Number one, pray prayers of availability throughout your day. Start 
and sustain your days with these little prayers of availability to the Holy Spirit. Let him lead you. And and they don't have to be magnificent or eloquent or anything like that. Just before you're about to enter into something, say, Holy Spirit, would you just lead me? Would you just guide me? Would you just help me say the things you want me to say? Help me be the person you want me to be in this situation. That's number one. Number two, evaluate how you did through the fruit of the Spirit. At the end of each day, as you lay your head down on your pillow, you get ready to go to sleep, ask yourself if your interactions with people and tasks were defined by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's a convicting question for most of us. Did the people that I talked with today experience through me love and joy? and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Guys, the presence of God isn't in a tabernacle in the desert anymore. It's not in a temple in Jerusalem. It's not even next to us in the person of Jesus. It's something even better. The presence of God is in us through the Holy Spirit. It is time that we start letting him lead. It is time that we start letting him lead because if we do, if we do, I'm telling you that you will find yourself being used by him to bring life and light into the darkness and death of this world. And there's nothing like that. It is just the very best thing. You will bring love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control to every person that you encounter. It's, it's beautiful. You'll change the world. I'm telling you, you will change your world and the people that God has placed around you if you just let the Holy Spirit lead you in these interactions. Pray prayers of availability and then evaluate how you did through the fruit of the Spirit. It's my challenge to us this morning. The band is going to come back up, and we're going to close with a song all about the Holy Spirit. It's a new song, but it's such a beautiful song, and it perfectly captures kind of what we're talking about here. And here's what I'm going to do. Me and a couple of others from our prayer team are going to be right over there in that prayer area. We're just going to be standing there. If you would like somebody to pray with you, somebody to ask on your behalf, God, to help the Holy Spirit lead you through all of these interactions. If you just want to pray a prayer of availability with someone, if you have a request, if you need prayer, we want to do that with you this morning. So I'm going to pray, and then me and the prayer team will be right over there if you need us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this series. What a, what a fun series it's been when we kind of strip everything else away and we look at your big story, we see this amazing thread of your relentless love for us. You just come after us, God. No matter how many times we mess up, how many times we turn our back, you keep finding new ways to be with us. God, and now we have this kind of ultimate expression of you with us, because it's not just you with us anymore, God. It's you in us by your spirit, God. So I pray for myself, for each and every person here, that we would 
get better at letting you lead. We know that life and life abundantly is found through you. We know that when we try to control things in our own flesh, in our own way, they never go well. God, please, please help us be available to be led and used by your spirit to bring life and light into this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.